Hello, and welcome to Pod Rocket. Today, Kaylin and I are sitting down with Ben Lesh, who is a staff software engineer at Citadel and a project lead on the RxJS project. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Doing great. Yeah, so um, Ben, maybe just give us a quick intro. Um, I, I know I introduced you a bit, but maybe uh, just uh, who you are and what you do. Uh, sure. So uh, let's see, I've been working in web development for a little more than 23 years. Um, so I'm old, <laughs> I guess. And then uh, there's, I, I've been working on RxJS for the last uh, seven years about. Um, since I, I started working on it when I worked at Netflix and then it followed me to Google and now I'm at uh, Citadel Securities. And um, what is RxJS? RxJS is, uh, well, the Rx stands for Reactive Extensions uh, for JavaScript, which doesn't really tell you that much, but it's all about reactive programming with a uh, type called observables. And for folks that may not be familiar, um, you know, what is an observable and kind of how does the, you know, a paradigm of using observables with RxJS help um, and kind of what are some of the benefits? Sure. So... Observables are what's called like a push-based type. So that means that you hand it a function uh, that's like an event handler, and then it pushes events at you with a value. And uh, the thing that's unique about observables is uh, it allows you to treat uh, events as sets of things. So um, values over time, uh, if you will, as an individual set of things. And when you have a set of things, you're capable of doing uh, a variety of stuff. So like when I say a set of things, I don't mean like a JavaScript set necessarily, but like an array is a set of things. A um, bushel of apples is a bushel is a set of things, right? Like a truckload is a set of things. So like when you have a set of things, you can, there's there's like category theory properties uh, of having a set of things where you can of what we call like maps. So, you know, you can map an array to a new array of the same size of mapped values, or you can reduce an array or you can filter it. You do the same thing with a truck, right? Like, so you have a truck of apples, you could map that truck of apples to a truck of apple slices. Well, I guess maybe that's a reduce, but either way, like you can, uh, anything that is a set that's, that can be dealt with as a set or a collection of things has uh, special properties about it. So if you can treat events or values over time as a set of things, you can transform it into other events. So you can say, I have an event of button clicks or a a stream of button clicks, and I want to transform that into a stream or an observable of fetched data is, is like a very common use case. But you can also do things like combine streams of events. So maybe you want to do drag and drop where you take a stream of mouse downs, you uh, switch map, what is what we call that, switch into a, uh, a stream of mouse movements, and you take that stream of mouse movements until you get a, a, an event from your stream of mouse ups. So it's just a, an interesting way to deal with uh, streaming things or event-based things. And the other thing that's interesting about it is it has uh, this idea of cancellation, so that it makes things it makes it easy to be like, well, I no longer want this stream. I want to cancel that. So even if it's a stream of one thing, could even be a stream of no things, but you have the ability to cancel and finalize and kind of tear things down. So that's uh, the two most interesting aspects of RxJS. That sounds quite powerful. Uh, what does that mean specifically, though, for you know front-end apps? 
uh, if I was trying to convince a skeptical uh, lead engineer. Sure, sure. So, I mean, well, there's one thing that's true about front-end development is there's a lot of, it's very event-based. And people don't often think about this, but I mean, you've got things from like document load all the way through button clicks and uh, mouse movements, mouse over, uh, even like when you go and fetch data, that's an ev- you get an event back. So uh, they even you'll hear people talk about the JavaScript event loop. Like everything is event based in front end development and JavaScript. And if you can take those events and treat them as sets of things, so you can manipulate them with uh, you know kind of a, a powerful domain specific language over top of uh, like the, everything's the same shape then that's pretty powerful. The, the other side of it, which I actually personally think is more powerful, is having a unified mechanism for canceling something. So right now, if you there's, you know, for fetch, there's abort signals. And for XHR, there's an abort method. And for set timeout, there's clear timeout and so on, like a close method on WebSockets and that sort of thing. And these are all things that are sources of events, but they have no unified uh, universal way to cancel those things. So RxJS, and in particular the observable type, uh, attempts to do this by providing like a subscription. So you get the same shape back, whether or not you have an observable of button clicks or an observable of you know set interval or whatever you you wrapped in an observable. That sounds great. It almost feels like it should be part of the language. <laughs> Well, there were attempts to do that. So whenever I first started this, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Jafar Hussein, who was on the TC39 for Netflix. And he championed, along with uh, another guy named Kevin Smith, championed uh, the observable proposal, which is still there, and but dead. No one's a champion for it. So the, the thing about the TC39 is it's an organization uh, where people go in and they vote on what feature should land. And in order to belong to this organization, you have to be, uh, it's a paid membership by companies. So if a company's paying you to go there, they have to have some sort of vested interest. So uh, they have to have a vested interest in whatever you're championing. So it's, it's not so much about the will of the people, so much it is the will of, you know, these individual companies that can afford to send software developers these things. So the, the proposal itself is not like dead in the aspect of it'll never happen, but there's no one championing it right now. So it's just kind of paused and sitting there. Uh, but RxJS is modeled after the, after the proposal. Um, I have no idea. I couldn't even tell you uh, what the prospects are for the proposal other than that it's not dead and no one really objects to it. It's just it doesn't have, uh, you know, a sponsor in the TC39 to, to kind of push it forward. Well, it doesn't seem to be holding RxJS back. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. I mean, we still try to, you know, keep that in consideration. But, like, you know, one one thing is if, if it did become part of the standard, RxJS would uh, aim to just use the native observable. We probably would still have all of the the different operators and stuff, because I doubt most of those would land on the native observable. But at the same time, uh, it does afford us opportunities to use unique mechanisms to make RxJS faster and things like that, that we might not be able to use if observable was native. And it also gives us the opportunity to, 
uh, experiment with things. For example, there is uh, there are native cancellation mechanisms that are now landing, and they've landed in Node and uh, most major browsers like Abort Signal. And then there's actually a companion to this called Task Signal, uh, which is behind a flag in Chrome right now, I think, uh, for like a, a scheduling API. And these are things that are very, very similar to our subscription. So we're looking at these and saying, hey, you know, if, if more APIs adopt wanting to use this, then our observables should probably support that. And maybe we move away from subscriptions. So, you know, we kind of evolve with the platform. Uh, and that becomes easier if we're not also tied to the platform. Because as you know, sometimes uh, once they put something like that out there, they're not going to change it. Um, and, you know, it's it might end up being some sort of dissonance between like, oh, we've got this cancellation thing, but by the way, we already shipped observable and whatever. Although part of me wonders if if we have this universal cancellation mechanism, if maybe getting an observable proposal through becomes easier because there's less uh, types to add to the language in order to get that. So um, the gotcha though is uh, the abort signal and task signal are not part of the ECMAScript uh, spec. They're actually part of, um, in, in the for abort signal, they're part of Node and they're part of, uh, I believe, uh, the Whatwig um, spec. And then uh, it's WCIG or something like that for task scheduler. So there's there's other specs that are related to like the DOM and to um, Node that control those things. That's weird. You'd think it would be part of JavaScript. Yeah. It's like set timeout. Set timeout is also not part of JavaScript, which is funny. That's actually part, it's like, you know, one of those things that's ubiquitous, it's everywhere, but it's actually not part of the ECMAScript language per se. Cycling back to what you said before about uh, the main focus of RxJS, uh, in the last five years, I know the web development community has been focused a lot on how to improve how our apps handle state. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about how RxJS might improve, uh, not just events, but also state handling or maybe not part of RxJS core, but like other libraries that use RxJS since it's pretty low level. So uh, reactive programming in general is actually a fairly good uh, mechanism for handling state. Uh, and um, there's a wide variety of ways you can look at reactive programming or what reactivity is. Uh, but the, at the end of the day, uh, reactivity is a lot about like, oh, I have a handler or a function and it gets called when something changes and it doesn't have to know what it is that changes or, or why that thing changed. It just has to know like, here's, here's my new set of values and I'm going to act on that. Right. So, um, like some people would like, there are people that would be like, Oh, well react isn't that re reactive. And in fact, react is reactive. Um, you, especially now it's very obvious. You've got a render function. It gets called every single time props change or, or like, you know, state updates or whatever. Um, uh, so, you know, can RxJS help with this? Absolutely. Uh, RxJS is, it's about reactive programming. There are many, uh, like very different attempts at uh, creating state management libraries around RxJS. I think the early versions of MobX were even written uh, either with RxJS as an inspiration or actually utilizing R RxJS under the hood in, in parts. Um, so, I mean, 
the the idea is also with uh, reactive programming that when you have these functions, a lot of them are pure functions, which meaning meaning that you're not like dishing out a lot of side effects. And and side effects are and if for people that are listening to this that don't quite understand what a side effect is, in simple terms, if you have some piece of state or some variable outside of your function that is altered when you call the function, that's a side effect. So. Whether that is like I called my function and made an HTTP call and stored something in a database, or whether that's like I literally have a variable that I updated when I called the function, that's a side effect. So uh, when it comes to state management, um, side effects make things uh, kind of hairy to deal with in the same way that uh, uh, you know shared global state makes things hairy to deal with. It's exactly the same set of problems. Is now you're saying, oh, when I called this and when somebody else called some other thing, we're, they're both racing and maybe updating the same piece of state. And that makes things harder. Where if you can kind of control the, the stream of how things are eventing and control, you know, at what point, like kind of centralize at what point your state is being updated, then uh, quite often you'll find your state, uh, your state management becomes easier to reason about. Now. Uh, that's where things like Redux uh, come in. And Redux can be implemented in RxJS with nothing more than a scan operator and a behavior subject. Like it's literally the same thing, pretty much. Um, uh, there's, uh, what's what's the other one? Recoil, which is also a Facebook thing. That's basically behavior subjects in RxJS. So the, these are patterns that show up over and over again. And I'm not saying like, oh, well, they copied us. It's like, no, There's these are just things that people naturally come to these decisions like, oh, this is a good way to do things. And then organically, everyone kind of builds the same thing. Um, that said, all of these state, state management solutions, um, you know, there's, there actually is something to be said for mutable global state. Mutable global state is really easy to think about. If I'm like, hey, I've got a foo variable and I am very careful about who's updating my foo variable, then, you know, it's pretty easy to just update a foo, foo variable and look at it. Where, you know, sometimes when you get into these reactive state management systems, you end up with, you know, these, um, you've got this, this centralized synchronous state management. And then you've got all this asynchronous stuff going on that then updates the centralized state management. And you have to bootstrap and like create all these things. And then, you know, the next developer joins your team and they want to quit as soon as they look at what you've made because it's this giant spaghetti mess. So, uh, but, you know, there's trade-offs, right? There, there's you're probably more likely to get some uh, correctness with one over the other. Uh, then there's also things like uh, state machines and X state and these other things that are really great for state management. Uh, but they, they have kind of different, they're, they're complementary. They have different goals. So one is like, I'm managing state in a process of, um, you know, maybe, maybe combining streams or something like that. X state would be a horrible choice to, deal with combining streams. Like it's not what it's written for. Uh, where like, you know, RxJS, can you build something like XState off of RxJS? Absolutely. Should you? I'm going to go ahead and say probably not because, uh, you know, XState's written for a specific purpose and you're, I mean, go ahead. I mean, if you can create something amazing and everyone wants to use it, then absolutely go use it. But um, I don't want to stop people from innovating, but like, you know, RxJS is a it's a set of primitives and tools to do things right, and it's not it's not necessarily geared for state management or not geared for state management. Um, 
Can you use it for that? Yeah, you can use, but you can use JavaScript for that too, right? Like you can use whatever you want for state management. Um, uh, reactive programming itself, just to go back to it though, uh, does have a place in state management. It can be a powerful tool for kind of centralizing and dealing with things. And you're, you're talking about things like, um, like use reduce is an example in like say react of reactive programming a la RxJS in a lot of ways. Uh, it's just RxJS has a lot more tools in its belt for dealing with things in similar ways. So to, to hopefully that answers your question. Yes. RxJS can do a lot to help people with state management. There's a lot of other tools They're They're all kind of interrelated. Um, look into state machines. They're pretty cool. I haven't actually had a ton of need to use state machines. I just think they're really cool. Um, but uh, I also don't heavily lean on RxJS for a lot of my state management, which just surprises people because I'm, you know, an author of the library uh, unless I have to, in some cases I have to, but it'll be like, you know, state management within the confines of, you know, bringing multiple streams together and trying to reconcile things. So it, you reminded me of the most useful uh, React hook that I've ever came across, the use observable hook in the React use library. Use observable, yeah. 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 Anyway, um, I wanted to ask you uh, what the common pitfalls, because like you said, this is a very primitive uh, you know, tool, you could say, that you could add to your app. What would, what would you say the, the most common mistakes that people make when they're using RxJS or? Honestly, the, the first and probably biggest mistake I see people make with RxJS, in, in my opinion, this is just from my perspective because I don't want people to hate me because I wrote the library, is the first thing they do is they're like, wow, I know a lot about RxJS and I can write this really cool thing that used to be 50 lines of code in like two lines of code now. And they do it and then no one else on their team has any idea what the hell it does, right? So that's that's probably mistake number one. Don't do that. Like make sure other people know what it is. Comment, you know, the bejesus out of it. Teach people on your team how to use it. Uh, because what you're doing is you're kind of expanding your language with this new domain-specific language to deal with things in special ways. Uh, and it's it's important not to do that. Now, the, the other list of things is there's really common stuff, like people will uh, subscribe to observables inside of an operator of another observable or something and then not track the, the subscription. Um, there's, I mean, there's just a laundry list of, of kind of weird mistakes. Like sometimes people... Sometimes people will have side effects in places where they shouldn't have side effects and they find that confusing. Other times people will work way too hard not to have a side effect when it would have been really easy just to put a side effect inside of like a map function and you would have been fine. No one would have, no, like I wouldn't appear before you and be like, Hey, why did you do this? Like that's, that's not a, that's not a thing. So, um, I think that, uh, I think that, you know, the other mistake sometimes people get is getting too dogmatic about what they have to do. Uh, this should be in its own operator and this should be in its own operator. Like, did you really need to map three times or could you have just done that in one step? Right? Like there's, there's things like that. So I think that, you know, the mistakes kind of fall into a couple categories. Like one is the mistake of, you know, plunging headlong too quickly. And the other is the mistake of um, kind of just technical gaffes where you, you uh, 
you know, maybe don't understand that you shouldn't be subscribing inside of a map callback or you really shouldn't even subscribe inside of a subscribe, right? Like there's, there's certain areas where you kind of do and don't want to do these things. And, uh, yeah. And I've seen all of it. I've seen it all, all of it from really, really smart people too, just where they, they, they missed by a little bit. One, one tip I would have for people though, is sometimes all you really needed to do is subscribe to your observable and just like deal with it. Like sometimes I'll see people like they've got an observable and then they'll like filter and map and scan and then they'll subscribe. And if you look at it, you'll just be like, you know, you could have just subscribed to that observable. You don't need filter map or scan. Like you could have just subscribed to it. And then inside of that, you know, did your filtering and mapping and scanning all kind of in one step. Uh, and sometimes that makes sense. Other times it doesn't make sense, but um yeah, I, I think, you know, that, but that kind of falls in the first category again, where maybe they're plunging a little bit too deep into it or overthinking it or something like that. Or probably just intimidated by the, the really huge API. Yeah, we're, we're working on reducing that, that API is, is quite big. So this, there's a story about why that API exists. A lot of people don't really think about this, but um, RxJS uh, originated because it was a direct port of rx.net. So there is a project uh, in Microsoft called Microsoft Project Volta. And Volta was aimed at compiling like .NET C Sharp down to JavaScript. So this, is, this was going on around the same time as like TypeScript was uh, conceived. And TypeScript won, uh, thank goodness. And uh, the only remaining piece of Project Volta was this piece that Matt Podwasaki, uh, who is like the, I don't know, the grandfather of RxJS, if you will, ported, did a direct port of rx.net to JavaScript. And so rx.net is, a, you know, it's .net, it's a compiled language. So you can have as many methods as you want on, or extension methods as you want on anything. And you know, it'll all get compiled away, whatever you don't use. Not that that matters. It's probably running on a server somewhere, right? And it's binary. So, uh, you know, where RxJS itself has different goals. So you end up having like tons and we end up having tons and tons and tons of methods uh, that we inherited from this previous API. And we're slowly trying to whittle that down to something sane. Now, on the other side of it, one of the reasons we have so many different methods is I was talking before about how things are sets of things. If you have a set like an array, right? An array is like a synchronously accessed linear set of things. It's got a unique property that you can access things individually in it by index. But, you know, a synchronous uh, linear set of things, you can map it, you can filter it, you can do all these things, but it's one dimensional, right? Um, Barring you, you can make arrays of arrays, and then you have a two-dimensional array. But either way, um, you, arrays are one-dimensional as a as an individual thing, whereas observables are actually kind of two-dimensional, right? Because not only do you have uh, a collection of values, but there's time between the values. It's still linear, but there's two dimensions that you have to deal with. So not only can you do all of the same operations that you can do with an array, like as far as transforming one array into a new array. Uh, so observable to observable, but there's all these other things like you can delay a value or you can say, I want to value it after a specific time or what, whatever. So there's, there's just an additional dimension to the things you can do. And RxJS tries to provide uh, 
really well-tested um, operators to do these common things that people might want to do with sets of events, but that causes it to explode into, you know, here's the, here's all the set of synchronous things and here's all the set of other asynchronous things you can do when you get a value. Uh, this is just one more, one more way to, to kind of manipulate things. I noticed uh, you recently released 7.3 and it seems to have a lot of really great performance improvements. I, I wonder how, how different it is from two years ago when I last tried it. Uh, well, let's see. The Honestly, version 7, it's not going to be like version 7.3. Uh, it's not going to be super different. So two years ago, uh, you still would have been using like pipeable operators and these things. So this is like a, a functional pipe like way of dealing with operators. Um, you know, for people that are listening, uh, I could get into that after. But um, so that's all pretty much the same. Uh, we haven't removed any deprecated APIs, so none of that's really changed. Version 7 actually reduced the size down to 53% of the original size of RxJS, so, or, or of the previous version. So you would notice bundle size improvements, uh, pretty drastic bundle size improvements. And then uh, starting in version 7.2, we started exporting all the operators from the top level. So you can pretty much import everything you need from just RxJS now. Uh, which is a big deal. Um, there's been some additions. There's been uh, there's there's new APIs for converting to a promise, uh, which are uh, first value from last value from that are tree shakeable. Uh, there's uh, a new API for getting an observable of animation frames that will give you like time since it started. They're like a duration sort of thing to kind of help with making animations. Um, there are uh, the there's new additions to multi-casting operators that we're trying to move towards so we can get rid of all the other ones because there's like 12 or something. And now there's a set of three that you can use to do pretty much everything. Most people will probably only ever use the share operator anymore. So that's, that's kind of a big deal. Um, but yeah, there's tap will allow you to, it'll notify you when someone, when someone subscribed, when someone's unsubscribed, um, things like that. So there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of new things and some things that people have been asking for for a long time uh, that you might enjoy. But ultimately, most of your code, if it worked in version six, um, will just work in version seven. Uh, it's uh, if anything, uh, some people that are update like you have to update TypeScript to TypeScript five or four point two, and uh, anywhere that you had like explicit typings because RxJS couldn't handle typing things properly before, that might break and you might have to just delete your explicit typings and then things will suddenly work, which is nice. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's not that different. I mean, there's, I'm not going to change like merge map, right? Like merge map will be merge map, I'm assuming long after I'm dead and gone. Like it's, there's, there's only, there's only so many ways you could do that. So, um, you know, things are pretty stable. Has it been challenging to introduce like new concepts and ideas while also still making sure that you don't cause too much of a, too many breaking changes? Yeah. Yeah. So the, um, we don't, I mean, we don't really worry across major versions too much, but we don't want to introduce too many breaking changes too quickly. 
which is why most of our deprecations are minimum one year old, in some cases like four or five years old. Um, and you know, the, the thing is there's a lot of scale to RxJS. So working on RxJS is I've had open source projects. I've worked in open source, uh, where I wasn't the, the owner of the open source, which makes it different. But like when you have your own pet open source project, it's easy to think, well, this open source project is the same as an open source project like Lodash or RxJS or whatever. And, um, you know, in code structure, you might be right, but the difference is at scale, uh, there's, there's a, there's actually a unique cutoff. Uh, I don't know what it exactly is, but NPM, like if I publish a version of RxJS, I'm not allowed to unpublish it. So like where any other project, there's like a time period where you're allowed to unpublish it. So many projects depend on RxJS that if I publish a version, um, it immediately gets picked up by somebody and people start to depend on it. So, um, the, the challenge, yeah, it's a little intimidating. The challenge is to make sure that, uh, you know, you're, you're not driving it towards a way that will cause some catastrophic, uh, situation when people try to update to the next major version, right? Like, um, and there's always, there's always some complaining, uh, when there's a new major version, uh, there's no way around it. We didn't even remove anything we deprecated this time. Version eight, we're going to be removing the stuff we deprecated. And a lot of it has been deprecated for like, like I said, four or five years in some cases. And I guarantee there's still going to be people that are like, oh my God, you broke everything. Why did you remove this? Um, the, Upside is you branch and you can maintain the old version and the new version. So it's not like completely the end of the world, but um, yeah, the, the, you have to think about like, you know, how, how can I move things forward in a non-breaking way? What can I do to make things better for people now that won't break them? And then how do I remove it later on? There's been a lot of really great things that help with that. Uh, like the fact that deprecated, um, things in uh, uh, like TypeScript and, and using Visual Studio Code gets a little line through it, right? There's linting tools that sometimes won't even let you use deprecated things, which is nice. Um, just a lot of different stuff, code transformation tools that people have written to try to help people migrate to away from things that have been deprecated. Uh, so things are easier. And that and now people have lock files, which is amazing. When I first started doing this, not every project had lock files and I introduced a breaking change in RxJS, like a patch and didn't realize, but it was breaking people's builds. And, um, it's, it like, I mean, the same night, like, so I, I, I released or published the version. I went to bed and I woke up to like a bunch of messages from people I didn't even know that somehow got my contact information from big, big name companies that I do not work for that were like, dude, you got to fix this. You broke all the builds and like, yeah, but now people have lock files to kind of prevent that. Thank God. Use your lock files. If you don't, um, that's your fault now. But, uh, but yeah, there's the scale of it is, uh, very intimidating, uh, for me. Um, I mean, it de gets deployed. Just, there's all sorts of things to think about. It gets, it gets deployed to all everybody's, like all these Fortune 500 companies and stuff. NPM doesn't, to my knowledge, does not have any security around post uh, 
post install scripts, right? So like if someone was to get a hold of my NPM credentials and I didn't have two factor auth on or something and they they were to put some horrible little virus in RxJS and publish it, like CIs would kick off, like God knows what kind of havoc that would wreak. So let's not give anyone any ideas. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's there it's fair there's some certain bits of in, intimidating parts about that. I always make sure to log off of NPM after a publish and things like that so what are you most excited about kind of in the long-term roadmap for rxjs uh well i'm really excited to take out all of this deprecated stuff in version 8 i did uh i did a preliminary pass at doing this uh, a little while ago just to see what the size improvements would be and and kind of like how it cleaned up code it cleans it cleans up code dramatically and uh there's uh, I think it was like almost 25% additional reduction in size. It's like on top of what was already done in RxJS 7. So that'll be a really big deal. And like just trying to get everything to where it's a little bit uh, simpler. Uh, one of the changes too is kind of prepping us for the future. So one of the changes is uh, subscribe can currently be called with three functions or two functions or one function or a function and null and a function or an object, like there's all these different ways to, to call it. And by version eight, uh, and we've already deprecated the other signatures, but by version eight, you can only be able to call it with uh, either empty, just subscribe with nothing in it, with one function or with one object, which would be your observer. And the advantage, there's huge advantages to this, like as far as internal code size, but um, the one of the advantages is it allows us to maybe by version nine or later in version eight, like 8.1 or something, introduce features where you can pass some configuration to it. So maybe we can start accepting abort signal instead of relying on subscription or things like that. So it's it's kind of the next big evolutionary step in getting us set up for uh, the future of, of where observable can go. And that's still very fluid, but we do know that we're going to remove all the deprecated stuff, which by it by itself is very exciting for me uh, and for the rest of the team as well. Um, and so, if folks out there interested in the project and want to get involved, like you know, are, are, is it easy to contribute to, or what does your contributor base look like, and any any recommendations there? So it's version seven is much easier to contribute to than version six was uh, during the massive refactor that was done. Uh, and again, it wasn't a rewrite; it was a refactor uh, between six and seven to get to version seven. Um, the uh, uh, I, I personally spent a lot of time uh, adding a lot of very detailed like why comments in the code. Uh, and making sure things were named uh, as best they could and making sure everything was very terse. So like, I think contributing to it now is much better than it was because the, the old architecture was, uh, and just to be clear, like we refactored the old architecture. So it's still kind of the same architecture, but like uh, before there was just tons of classes and not a lot of comments and variables weren't always named great. So I think it's a lot easier to contribute to code wise now that said, this is a utility library. So the the need for like code contributors on it is actually fairly light. The the best place, the place that helps the absolute most is when people have um, 
when, when people are, when people are working on things that, uh, are like documenting or articles or helping other people or doing trainings, like free videos on like how to do this stuff or working with their teammates, like, honestly, uh, the thing that, uh, stops RxJS adoption more than anything else is when you get somebody who's an expert in it that just goes buck wild with it and then never ever uh, like teaches anyone else. And what ends up happening is all the person, all the people around this person will be like, what is this person doing? Like this, I hate RxJS. Like this is awful because it's just this big wild mess of whatever. And the more people they involve and the more people that work on it, the better that code's going to get and the better the usages are going to get. And and who knows, maybe someone creates something even better out of it at some point, right? But the, the big thing is like educating other people, helping with documentation is really huge. I know that's not the, the uh, sexiest work in open source. Like people want to be like, oh, I wrote the code that did X, Y, Z. But trust me, like your documentation on how to do something is going to get a whole lot more views than my code will, right? Like, like, like there's... There's no comparison. Like they're not, people aren't going to be like, oh, let's go look at this map operator code. Like they're, they're not going to do that. Like they'll go read your article about the map operator and that will be a bigger deal. And they'll be like, oh, the RxJS docs suck. Look at this great article that explained the whole thing. Like that's super cool. And there's no barrier to entry to that. Right. So, um, and again, the documentation, uh, really easy to contribute to. There's like literally little pencil icons on it where you can click and it will take you to GitHub where you can immediately open up a PR and be like, here's my change and, and send it in. So things like that, like helping other people learn RxJS uh, or even just giving talks about RxJS. Um, great. I mean, if, if you're doing a great job, I will lend whatever Twitter following I have to like, be like, Hey, check out what this person over here is doing with this cool talk. Like, you know, Great, by all means. And, and do that with other open source projects too because everything that you can think of that you hate about software development, be it documentation or educating other people or whatever, um, I'm not saying that open source authors hate it. I'm just saying they probably have the least amount of time for it too, right? So uh, like they'll love you if you start doing these things for them in earnest and even you know, even if you're colla- they require some collaboration with them a little bit. Uh, I guarantee that that's going to make them very happy. Otherwise, um, if you do see a small issue and you want to contribute code, by all means do. Uh, Abide by the code of conduct. Be respectful. Uh, I think if people want to get started in open source in general, um, independent projects like RxJS are going to be an easier bet because you don't have to sign CLAs or anything like you would for like Angular or React. Um, those teams with big corporate uh, team, like the big corporate teams that are working on corporately owned open, open source, they're great, but they have bosses and meetings and schedules and the odds that like your PR is going to be a priority on their list is pretty much nothing unless one of their bosses says your PR is a priority on their list, right? So um, they're still going to try. I know that when I was on the Angular team, we we tried to go through everything and process everything, but that stuff gets backlogged big time. So contributing to smaller open source, independent open source projects is a better way to get started if you want to code in open source, in my opinion. Great. Well, Ben, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. Find us at Pod Rocket Pod on Twitter, or you could always email me, even though that's not a popular option. It's Brian at Log Rocket.